service. Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award-winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Rock-a-rolla. Badlands is a production of Double Elvis. The stories about Benedict Cumberbatch are insane. Dehydrated and starving, he nearly lost his mind while hiking through the Himalayan mountains. He saved a bike messenger from getting mugged on the streets of London. He was robbed by a group of thieves in South Africa who bound him up and threw him in the trunk of a car. It was a night that he believed would be his final night on Earth. A night long before we got the chance to play a world-famous detective, a comic book superhero, or one of literature's most famous dragons. All of them great roles in great films. Unlike that clip I played for you at the top of the show, that wasn't a clip from a great film. That was a fair use sample from the Library of Congress of Lewis James and Charles Harrison performing I Am Climbing Mountains in 1919. I played you that clip because I can't afford the rights to a clip from Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. And why would I play you that specific slice of Doc Ock cheese could I afford it? Because that was the number one movie in America in July 2004. And that was the month that production began on the BBC miniseries To the Ends of the Earth in which Benedict Cumberbatch's first major leading role nearly became his last. On this episode, lost in the Himalayas, a hero in the streets of London, robbed, bound, and stuffed in a trunk, and Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm Jake Brennan, and this is Badlands, season nine, Hollywoodland. South Africa, 2004. Up against the car, now, 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 now. The three actors did as they were told. Hands on the broken down car, eyes fixed on the ground. They didn't dare look at these men, men who just emerged from the bush there on the side of the road. 
Men who made it clear they had weapons and wouldn't hesitate to use them. Was this it? The end? Were they about to get shot to pieces? This couldn't be the end. In fact, it was supposed to be the beginning. One of the three actors, now being held against his will, was about to break out. Not from the shit show he presently found himself in, but in the business. After years of stage work and minor roles in films and TV, 27-year-old Benedict Cumberbatch was poised to hit the big time with a starring role in a major BBC miniseries. But not if he was dead. Benedict tried to peek over his shoulder. Turn around. Turn around. Turn around. Turn around. Theo Lanley, one of Benedict's co-stars in the miniseries they were to shoot, and more importantly for the moment, a native of Johannesburg, leaned in and gave Benedict the calm reminder. Don't look at them. Just do what they want. Benedict, Theo, and a third co-star, Denise Black, knew what they were up against. They'd heard the stories. Petty theft, armed robbery, the things that happened to tourists in the middle of South African cities in broad daylight. Except right now, they weren't in a city. They were on a country highway, an hour away from any city, and in the middle of the night. Hands began to rummage through their pockets and grab at their legs and arms, and they were poked and prodded. This was systematic, well-rehearsed. Anything and everything was quickly removed. Keys, phones, wallets, all dropped in a pile on the ground. The whole thing was conducted with absolute precision. These three actors were just another hit, another easy come up, just another set of suckers in a big, dangerous country. South Africa, known for breathtaking landscapes, home to some of the most beautiful and rarest animals on the earth. A diverse population producing some of the most exquisite music and art in the world. A country rich in history, and part of that rich history was violence. Beyond apartheid, which institutionalized racial segregation for about five violent decades, South Africa to this day has a high crime rate. For some who live there, violence is another part of life. It settles disputes, builds reputations, and gets people what they want. Robberies, rape, assault, murder, all common. Carjackings and kidnappings, also common. So common that the United Kingdom lists carjackings and kidnappings as threats to tourists on the foreign travel advice page of their government website. That's how frequent and how real the threat is. And when it comes to threats, Tourists are notoriously easy targets. Though these weren't technically tourists. They were in the country to shoot a BBC miniseries, and one of them actually grew up in South Africa. Here on the side of the road, that's what Benedict Cumberbatch and his two actor friends, Theo and Denise, were. Just tourists, targets, easy marks now wondering if they were going to survive. Earlier that night, all they wanted was to get back to their hotel in Richards Bay, where they would enjoy some quality shut-eye before another long week on set. Their car was making its way through the chilly South African night. It was getting late, too late, and the passengers were beginning to get weary. The driver was as keen on getting out of the bush as his passengers were. Here you could be shot for the contents of your glove box, and you could disappear forever. And traveling at night, that increased your chances of running into someone you probably would rather not. 
Was it worth the risk for a good night's sleep? Maybe. It was better than dragging ass on set. Because acting is a game you don't want to play tired. And when opportunities arise, you best make damn sure you're ready to grab them. Even if that means braving a notoriously dangerous stretch of South African country road. Benedict Cumberbatch knew all too well the opportunity in front of him. Fresh off his first BAFTA nomination, he was now marked for the lead role in To the Ends of the Earth, a BBC adaptation of William Golding's three-part novel. The narrative puts the young upstart Edmund Talbot on a harrowing journey, forcing him through rites of passage involving sex, death, and real-world politics while grounding him in the realities and dangers of the world. Playing Edmund Talbot was a challenge, and Benedict liked being challenged. That's why he wanted to take on big roles, why he sought adventure, and that's why he was now in this car with Theo and Denise. They'd spent the weekend taking scuba diving lessons a couple hours away from the production's base camp, a sojourn from the grind of multiple days on set, something to shake up the stay in the foreign country and bring a little excitement to the trip. But as soon as he got out of the water, dripping wet, Benedict caught a chill. He didn't want to do another night here in some small, cramped lodging. He wanted to head back to the hotel. Bad idea, their driver told them. There was no telling who they'd find, or more likely who'd find them on the road back to Richard's Bay. Benedict understood the warning, but he dismissed it. He wanted to get back to the hotel now. The country road extended forward into the abyss of night. Thick vegetation and brush on either side of them. A shadowy tunnel that seemed to go on forever. Benedict turned up the heat. He was freezing. The music on the radio played softly. Radiohead's How to Disappear Completely from their album Kid A. So startling and weird when it was first released, but now, four years later, somehow comforting. For Benedict, it was a little taste of home, of England. A distraction from the darkness surrounding them and the thought of what may lay behind the darkness that Radiohead's Tom York sang about. He wasn't here, and this wasn't happening. And then, the car's right front tire blew out, and the car jolted forward. It screeched and skidded off the road and onto the dirt shoulder, kicking dust in the air. Benedict looked at his friends, fellow actors, fellow passengers. Easy marks. They stood outside and watched the driver take off the flat and swap it with a spare tire. And they tried to keep warm. It was dark and deathly silent. The driver worked quickly, tightened the lug nuts on the new wheel, and the actors peered into the darkness. And something began to stir in the bush behind them. Was it the wind? Wild animals? Fuck, man, hurry up. The sound coming from the bush grew closer and louder, and then... Out of the vegetation, out of the darkness, came six men, armed to the teeth. There to do one thing, take whoever they found on the road for all that they were worth. They had heard the car skidding out of control. They were watching, waiting. And now the actors and the driver were all staring down the end of the line. Even if they wanted to, they couldn't run. Their shoelaces had been yanked from their shoes were currently wrapped tightly around their hands. And now that they had been stripped of possessions, it would be a matter of moments before the bullets began to fly. 
The wind kicked up and chilled their bodies down to the bone. And the six thieves examined the wallets they'd just taken. They were confused. There was no cash here, only plastic. The thieves stared at their victims, sickening grins that turned the actors' stomachs. A possessed look glazed over their eyes. What were they thinking? Was murder on their minds? They ordered Benedict Cumberbatch and his friends back into the car. His adrenaline suddenly turned to anxiety, and the horrible reality of the situation began to set in. He was a stranger in a strange land, going toe-to-toe with death itself. But this wasn't his first time. The dark figure in the corner froze as Benedict Cumberbatch woke up with a start. Benedict's heart was about to burst through his chest, all the way out here in the Himalayan mountains, days away from civilization. And there was no telling who or what could have found its way into this barn. He wasn't even sure if it was a person at all that he was looking at. It kept perfectly still in the shadows. Maybe it wasn't even a person, maybe a bear, maybe something worse. It was 1996. Benedict Cumberbatch had spent months in Nepal during his gap year teaching English at a Tibetan monastery and getting a front row seat to the wonders of the practice. This was nearly two decades before he played Dr. Stephen Strange, studying ancient scrolls in one of the most popular cinematic universes of all time. This also wasn't some spandex CGI metaverse creation of the Hollywood machine. This was the real thing. In Buddhist culture, ghosts exist, ancient ghosts. One in particular called the Hungry Ghost, a being that was so pitiful in life, so driven by obsession and greed, that Buddhists believe he is forced to walk the world in an afterlife in an attempt to quench an insatiable hunger. Is that what this thing was? Was Benedict Cumberbatch about to be robbed by a phantom? Was this even happening? The dark figure stared back at him. It didn't move or make a sound. Benedict sat up and rubbed his eyes. And when he opened them again, the room was empty. The dark figure was gone. His hiking pack lay in the corner of the barn, but there was no one else there save for his traveling companion. And where the hell did that thing go? Would it come back for him? He scanned the barn again. And just a moment ago, someone or something menacing and obscured lurked in the corner ripping through their bags. He was sure of it. Maybe he was just seeing things. His head throbbed. He was exhausted and dehydrated. And despite that, he had to move on. A short while later, Benedict and his traveling companion stumbled back onto the trail, back to the road they'd been walking for just two days. But to two university students way out of their comfort zone, those two days felt like months. The concept of time had become fluid and unreal. As the hikers planted one foot in front of another, the concept of consciousness became fluid as well. They seemed to slide in and out of reality. 
It had originally been a group of four hikers, but two had already turned back. They found the trip too demanding, too dangerous. For Benedict and his one remaining compatriot, that's what it was all about, the adventure of it all. That's why he was in Nepal teaching English on a gap year, spending his downtime traversing deserts and rafting on dangerous waters, scaling the Himalayas with just a map and no guide, sleeping in a stranger's abandoned barn and drinking water from dampened moss. That's why he hadn't turned back. Not yet, anyway. The optimistic Benedict Cumberbatch hoped this excursion would be a once-in-a-lifetime experience, taking an already adventurous life experience to an even higher level. But now, everything was literally going sideways. When you get up some 20,000 miles or so, the altitude can be a real bitch. It can make you sick, sicker than you've ever been. Dizziness and insomnia are only the beginning. They're followed by difficulty walking. Headaches, nausea, confusion. Eventually, as it progresses, nausea becomes fluid buildup in the lungs, in the brain, and your confusion transforms into memory loss, even hallucinations. The whole experience can drive you insane. Benedict Cumberbatch and his friend were somewhere in the middle of it. Every time he looked down, he was disoriented. Every time he looked up, the world spun. If he shut his eyes, he was plunged into a nightmare, and the veil of the world pulled back, strange images and sensations filling his mind. The dream world and the real world bled together. Was he awake right now? Was he actually on the side of a mountain face? Or was he back in the barn, wrapped in his sleeping bag, watching a hungry ghost steal the last bit of his food? Maybe lying in wait to steal his soul? Things were getting stranger by the hour. His foot splashed into a puddle. It jolted him back to reality. As he pulled his leg from the pool of rainwater, he noticed another leech attached to his ankle. He ripped it off. He was getting sick of feeding these bloodsuckers. The duo planted themselves on the side of the road and dug around in their backpacks. Still, nothing but empty bags of food and empty water bottles. What was he expecting to find? They'd run out of everything, and nobody was coming to save them. The sun fixed over their heads, beating down on them without mercy. Maybe they should go back, but which way was back? Benedict pulled them out from his bag. None of the lines made sense anymore. They'd taken a wrong turn some time ago, and now they were rudderless. Still, they pushed on. At last, they came to a river. The water drifted by at an unhurried pace, self-assured, serene, in perfect harmony with its surroundings. He thought of Buddhists and how in their world, water gives life. Water is calming, and water brings balance. But water here could also carry diseases. They were told not to drink it. Instead, they followed. They staggered through the wilderness, walking alongside the river to a small village and to the first people they'd seen in days. This wasn't another hallucination. This was real. The energy began to return to their bodies. Benedict and his companion ran toward the villagers, pointing at their mouths, desperate for nourishment. They were probably days, maybe even hours, from certain death, but they'd been saved. So it stood to reason that perhaps he'd be saved again.
His head smashed off the windshield of the car. Benedict Cumberbatch was thousands of miles from the Himalayas now, perched uncomfortably on top of a crew of South African carjacking thieves, jammed into the front seat of the car. His torso was contorted due to his bound hands, and every time the car hit a small bump, his head bounced off the glass at the front of the car. He forced his eyes to the floor, to the door, anywhere but on the faces of the thieves, just like Theo had told him. From the back seat, Theo was pleading with the men. He tried to use his South African roots to negotiate. Did they really want the blood of actors on their hands? Benedict felt his head smash against the windshield again. One final groan was all the outlaw operator in the driver's seat needed. This arrangement wasn't working. The car screeched to a halt on the side of the road. Two of the men yanked Benedict out of the front seat and onto the side of the road with them and out of the car. And then they hauled his co-star Denise out of the back. Benedict's heart rate was jacked. They pulled him around to the back of the idling vehicle and he was pushed to the ground, execution style. A choked up Denise pleaded from the other side of the car, please don't kill him. He should have fucking known. The stories were everywhere. Even the driver told him it was a bad idea. This ride, this going to the hotel after dark, this cutting through the South African bush. The thieves opened the trunk of the car. Benedict kept his head down, remembering what Theo said. Don't look at them, just do what they want. And then, that Radiohead song. He wasn't there, and this wasn't happening. If he was about to go out, he figured he'd better use his greatest talent. You don't want to put me in there, he said. I've got a condition, I'll suffocate. The thieves spoke amongst themselves, deciding what to do with the mouthy Brit leaning against the car. I'll die or I'll get violently ill. The thieves were arguing amongst themselves now. Trust me, you don't. And before he could finish that sentence, Benedict Cumberbatch was shoved into, as the English say, the boot of the car. He screamed, hoping somewhere, someone in the night could hear his plea. His shouts were silenced as the trunk slammed shut. Darkness. Benedict listened intently as the men outside the car continued to argue. They clearly didn't care whether he lived or died. He steadied his own breathing and waited for what was to come next. Would it be the engine turning over? Gunshots? Would they aim the pistol directly at him? Seconds stretched out into minutes. All the horrible possibilities were on the table. And suddenly, the trunk of the car flew open, revealing the dark South African sky. Maybe his shtick about the health condition had worked after all. And maybe they were gonna let him go. He began to look on the bright side. This was probably just another misadventure that ended up all right in the end. This long stretch of road, just another river leading back to that proverbial village, back to safety. Then the thieves grabbed hold of him and yanked him from the trunk. They began to drag him away from the car. They weren't letting him go, not yet. They had other plans. We'll be right back after this word, word, word. Heavy traffic rumbled overhead. The sound of the freeway alternated between deafening noise and dreadful silence. Below an overpass, Benedict Cumberbatch shifted nervously. His knees scraped and his head cut from being dragged over dirt, rocks, and pavement. 
his hands and legs still bound. Their captors had taken everything, even the PIN numbers for the actors' credit cards. Surely that meant this whole ordeal was winding down. Surely they were about to be released. But the three actors weren't being released. They were being dragged toward the roar of cars and trucks speeding through the South African night. First Benedict, then his two co-stars, Theo and Denise. And now, here they were, all three lined up, execution style. Their captors approached them and wrapped their heads with a duvet cover from the car. Cumberbatch steadied his breathing and began to calculate. This had been their plan all along. This was it. The end. He was here. This was happening. The thieves' plan was solid. The cloth over the actors' heads would provide a clean kill, and the traffic rumbling overhead would provide some cover to the sound of a pistol unloading. There was a lull in the shaking of cars and trucks overhead, and the steps of the potential murderers shuffled around in front of the trio. Benedict's blood ran cold. Please, let us go. You don't have to do this. Another wave of traffic echoed off the concrete walls. He braced, waiting for the sound of a pistol. The final blow. Nothing. Just the slow fade of traffic. More shuffling on the dirty concrete. Whispers. Benedict began to beg for their lives again. And suddenly the sound of another wave of traffic crashed off of the walls and shook the ground. And once again he waited for a gunshot. For death. But once again nothing came. And when the traffic died down, there was no more shuffling, no more hushed voices, and there was nothing at all. 2018, London. The delivery man was on schedule. He pumped his legs and pedaled his bike through the crowded city streets. Streets full of cars, people, and crime. In London, one crime in particular almost always goes unsolved, bike theft. In London, a bike is stolen every 16 minutes. There's even a verified Twitter or X feed that is dedicated to helping victims find their bikes. And that's because 98% of stolen bikes in London never make it back to their owners. That kind of thing is constantly on the mind of any casual peddler cruising around London town. But it's a matter of livelihood when it's required for your job. It's a work hazard, it comes with the territory. The delivery cyclist wasn't thinking about that. Not right now. The night was going smoothly and as the rubber of his bike tires hugged the ancient cobblestone, all he could think about was his next tip. He turned a corner. He didn't even see them coming. He throttled the handbrake and his bike skidded to a stop. He was surrounded. Four muggers, menacing as hell. They grabbed the handlebars. They tried to pull him from the bike. He gripped the aluminum his means of income, his paycheck. Letting go would mean a night of missed deliveries and a lengthy insurance claim. But that was nothing compared to the alternative. He stared the muggers in the eyes, and there was no telling what they had hiding in their coats. He could be stabbed or shot at any moment, and these bastards clearly didn't give a shit about pinching a bike off a guy in the middle of a city street. They'd shiv him in the abdomen and leave him bleeding out on the pavement. Worst case scenario circled his brain. Then, someone shouted from behind him. He turned around. Wait, was that Sherlock Holmes? Benedict Cumberbatch launched himself out of the Uber he was traveling in and barreled into the middle of the scrum. 
He shoved the street trash off of the delivery biker. Leave him alone. The mugger swung at the movie star, but he backed away, dodging every blow. He held out his hands, trying to calm the situation down. He waved to oncoming traffic to attract attention, but the attackers didn't give up. They grabbed at the bike, and the cyclist held on tightly. When they realized this shoving and grabbing match wasn't going to result in a new bike to pawn, the muggers threw in the towel and fucked off. The story made headlines everywhere, and as The Sun reported, oddly enough, the whole ordeal happened mere blocks from Sherlock Holmes' fictional residence on Baker Street. This, however, wasn't fiction. Benedict Cumberbatch, a superhero and crime-fighting detective on screens big and small, equally courageous in real life. When asked about the event, he just said he had to do it, had to satisfy that impulse to throw himself into action, itself the result of handling high-stress situations over and over again, even if that meant sacrificing yourself for a complete stranger. As he told Vanity Fair years later, after he survived the ordeal in South Africa, Benedict Cumberbatch wanted to live life with more urgency. He wanted to feel every sensation. He wanted to travel the world, swim in the sea, to live, as he put it, quote, a bit more recklessly, unquote. He became an adrenaline junkie, racking up parachute jumps, even spending time with South African special forces. But as he grew older, his family grew as well, and Benedict Cumberbatch eventually put off-screen adventure on the back burner. With kids at home, he made a decision. Less value placed on recklessness and more value on keeping himself in one piece. He no longer sought out the same thrill-seeking activities. But just because he stopped actively chasing the experiences that pushed him to the absolute limit, that didn't mean those experiences were done finding him. I know you're in there. The man paced back and forth outside the luxurious London home. A knife gripped tight in his clenched fist. His rage was boiling over. I hope this place burns down. The guy was nowhere near thinking clearly. He was on another planet entirely. It was clear he'd planned this for a while. He even told a shopkeeper about his attack, about how he was going to go straight to the house and force his way in. The whole thing sounded ludicrous. The shopkeeper waved it off. But here he was. He was doing it, carrying out his plan, just like he promised. He moved to the front gate and kicked at it hard, and then kicked again. Fuck this. His eyes fixed on the nearby intercom. He spat at it, and then started to pry it loose with the short knife clutched in his hand. Beyond the gate, inside the house, Benedict Cumberbatch clung tightly to his family, his wife and kids visibly shaken from being subject to a random act of senseless aggression. But Benedict Cumberbatch had dealt with stalkers before. One left him red ribbons, a vague and perhaps sinister reference to the Sherlock Holmes story titled A Study in Scarlet. Red ribbons that intermittently appeared, tied to his house and his car. Another live tweeted his every movement while he was inside Benedict's house. Now that was weird. 
Even when the so-called stalker revealed themselves as a neighbor, Benedict was still rattled, maybe even more so. Legions of self-proclaimed cumberbitches, seriously, that's a thing, look it up, have obsessed over one of the internet's preeminent boyfriends since the early days of social media, and many flock to him when they see him in public. And while Benedict Cumberbatch has publicly stated over and over again how much he loves his fans, he's ridiculed stalkers, as he should. But though he had witnessed all types of insane behavior, he had never experienced anything quite like this. The man outside was yelling again. He kicked at the garden gate, determined to get past it and get inside the house. Benedict began to worry. He'd faced potential death more than once and had somehow overcome it every time, but this time, it wasn't an unhappy side effect of his lust for adventure or his need to chase adrenaline. This time, the danger came to his front door, unprompted, unwelcomed. Time stretched on. Just like it did in the Himalayas when days of dehydration and physical exhaustion led to a warped state of mind. But then, there was something else. Sirens in the distance, and time snapped back into place, and the man fled the scene. A few weeks later, the man was ID'd. The cops pulled DNA off the intercom and easily tracked him down. The guy had no defense for his actions. He pleaded guilty to criminal damage, was made to pay a small fine, and was issued a restraining order. No one was hurt, thankfully. But being terrorized like that underscored the choices that Benedict Cumberbatch was now making in 2023. Not just a stage performer, not just an actor who deliberately pursued A-list caliber projects and top-grossing films over the years, but a somewhat reformed adrenaline junkie who once sought adventure in the Tibetan wilderness in the bush of South Africa. Now a family man more interested in the adventure of fatherhood. In his own words, the events that transpired in the South African bush that fateful evening made him want to, quote, live a life less ordinary, unquote. And he's doing just that. It's a journey and a story that ought to be in pictures. I'm Jake Brennan, and this is Badlands. Badlands was created by me, Jake Brennan, and produced by Double Elvis. Credits for this episode can be found on the show notes page at badlandspod.com. Subscribe, follow, like, rate, and review the Badlands podcast wherever you get your podcast because Badlands is available everywhere. If you love this show, tell someone, tell everyone, shout us out on social, spread the word, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Double Elvis. Double Elvis.